Hey, how's it going, Bill? Hey, it's going good, Alex. How's your day going? Ah, uh, you know, my day's going fine. And uh, and I was um, looking back at uh, at some old uh, photos I took in Washington D.C. And I came across an interesting, um, interesting little camera um, called the Kodak DCS 100. Oh, that's going back in the deep end of the before times. Yeah. Back when Kodak was basically borrowing Nikon cameras and building digital bodies out of them. Exactly. But the DCS 100 is particularly special because it was built out of the Nikon F3. Oh, Nikon F3. That's a, that's a sweet beast. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's dig into the F3 today and roll the intro. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. So we all know the 1970s disco, bell bottoms, leisure suits, and Nikon was riding high in the uh, professional um, film market with the uh, Nikon F2. Again, brilliant camera. We've uh, we've dug into that one quite nicely, but other companies were starting to get ahead. You had the Canon A1 coming out, and uh, Minolta started dabbling in electronics. But Nikon decided we were going to stick with mechanical. Now that doesn't mean they didn't try. I mean, of course, we have the brilliant Nikomat ELs that were starting to come out. And they even decided that they were going to turn the F2 into a shutter priority camera. They had the EE aperture control attachments um, that were available for the F2S, the F2SB, and of course the F2AS. Hmm. And even as early as 1974, they started designing a, a replacement camera, the F3, but the 1974 prototype, it just looked like another F2. The 1977 prototype's interesting because it went with that small chassis that you saw with the FM and the FE. The but it still maintained all the stuff that you saw with the F2, including that slip-on hot shoe. Nikon quickly realized that they had the know-how to build a good camera. They lacked the know-how to build a good-looking camera. Well, that's where they brought in, uh, again, our Italian listeners will will, will send me mails. Bulgario Girogetto of Ital Design. Now, who is this gentleman? He designed a lot of really cool looking Maserati sports cars in the early seventies, the Mark one Volkswagen golf of 1974. And I think Nikon, they had the guts of their camera, but this was a lever for Nikon, a very revolutionary camera for the pro market. And they decided, yes, we're going to announce to the world. It's a new decade, a whole new look. So let's bring in 
an outside industrial designer to shake things up. And oh boy, did he ever. Absolutely. And that, that red stripe is still maintained on every Nikon DSLR today. I mean, it's on my D750. Well, that's the thing. It's funny because the F3, a lot of that, it was sort of almost like that. It was like the dawn of new wave. Like, you know, like the F3 basically came out, you know, for some reason, I, when I look at my F3, I have Japan's life in Tokyo playing in my back, in the back of my brain <laughs> uh, at the risk of dating myself. Um, but it was like that sort of revolutionary. Yeah, the 70s are done. Yeah, bell bottoms. Yeah, we're out now. We're now stovepipe, black denim, and uh, and more. You know, messing around with you know new wave, new romantic music. Again, Duran Duran was more a Pentax camera fans, but it was like Nikon was part of it. We're doing that revolution. So the odd thing with that design language followed through with all their pro bodies going forward. Absolutely. It, it completely changed Nikon's real design ethos. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the F3 with a smaller camera than the F2. It was lighter. It, it still had that robust all-metal attitude. And it could be as customizable as all the previous ones. Now, it didn't have as much... As it did, yeah, you could still get that 250-shot magazine, but you didn't need to get a special motor drive for it. You could just use a stock MD4. Yep. And the MD4 was pretty easy to install as well. Like, I have a Nikon with the F36 motor motor drive, and that's quite involved to install. (laughs) Yeah, you need to take the back off and put a battery pack on and put the motor drive on. That's just to load and unload the camera. You don't have to worry about that with the F3 or the F2 for that matter, but the F2 motor drive was a real beast. Exactly. And one of the most shocking design changes was putting the meter into the camera body itself, Mm -hmm. which meant that even if you had a waist level finder, you had a meter. Exactly. And it was, it was a different way because most like Nikon and you could get, let's say Canon, Pentax, et cetera, and so forth, ran with the 6040 center weight. Olympus did their own thing with the OM2N with their off the plane metering. And which is brilliant. Oh, it's insanely brilliant. But Nikon kept the center weighted metering with the F3 because, hey, we're, 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 we're trying to it get worked. cutting edge, but we're not going to be too cutting <laughs> edge. They did, however, go with like an 80-20. Yes. And that was the big difference. And it's like one of those, oh, wow. And again, it's even the meter readout was, uh, for the 1980s, very high tech. It was LCD. Yeah, which is also ends up being one of the weak points as well. Yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> I my brother gave me a well-worn F3 as a birthday present 12 years ago. It had already been run into the dirt by some small town paper in the US. I got it. It was fun, but the, the display, the LCD, now the F3 is 
the LCD displays don't bleed, they fade. Yeah. And that is due to oxidization with the connection between the LCD assembly and the sort of flexible printed motherboard that it's attached to. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, back in the day, Nikon said, yeah, we can fix that. Yeah. There was no failures back then, so they kind of just walked away back from that. And now if you go into any repair tech or got some ability, they'll just take one look at it and laugh at you. Yeah. The nice thing is, is that Nikon did support the camera until quite recently. Like exactly. Maybe a decade ago. Here's the other thing with the F3. Um, like the Canon new F1 was, you know, it was released around the same time, but they discontinued it in the early 1990s. The F3 went from nightfall, I guess fall 1980, or if you want to say when the product actually landed in camera stores, winter 1981, mm-hmm. it lasted 20 years to the 21st century. Yeah. Like the F3 lasted past the F4 and well into the era where they were beginning to start the discontinuation of the F5. Yeah. Uh, well, I think the F5 is still around. I think it was back when they were, they were sort of, they called the F5 for the F6, but that was, I think, about a year or two later. It's 06. The 06 timeline, the F6 gets came fuzzy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and like any Nikon camera, you could have a whole pile of different finders. Of course, the most popular being the DE3 or the uh, high point. Exactly. But 90% of the F3s you find around have the uh, high point. They did offer a low profile one as well. But what's really nice is that wearing glasses, you wanted that high point finder. Exactly. So I was very glad that the F3 I had had that high point finder right off the bat. Now, of course, there are some weird variants of that high point finder, mm-hmm. as there are variants of the F3 itself, because you've got the F3 with the low profile, I believe it's the DE2, which is early production yep. around 80, or well, we'll say fall 80 when it was introduced to about 82, and then the high point, or the DE3 came on the market, and that basically became the de facto this yeah. is what we're shipping from the factory. You had the waist level finder out there. You had, I think, a sports finder. Yep, there was a sports but finder also. There was a variant called the F3P, or for press, which was originally, I think, available in Japan only. Mm-hmm. It was a strange beast. It did not have mirror lockup. It was even further weather sealed. There's no... Uh, and it had a standard hot cable shoe. release or anything like that, but it had a hot shoe built in into the prism head. Exactly. If Which, you can find one. Yeah, they are they are rare. Mm. And then of and course again. Nikon also enjoyed building super special ones and mostly the F3T. Yes. Um, there's a history with that. The F3T is it's got a titanium housing on the top and the bottom and the prism head, even though it still says HP on it. <laughs> and fun fact, the early production of the T, it was available in a champagne color, 
Yes. For about, I think 81 till about 1985. And after that, they just ran black. Yep. I have a black example, which is yeah, at the surface, if you're at a camera meetup, you'll look at it going, oh, yeah, it's another F3. But then you look closely, it's like, oh, it's the T. That's a slash T, yeah. And there, there is a subtle difference with the paint job. Yeah, because it's a it's a different metal underneath. Exactly. Other than that, it, it's like uh, you know the press. Now, of course, you know Nikon. Of course, supplied I think the U.S. Navy and also NASA. Yes, the F three was a part of the early shuttle program. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that was uh, I think. Isn't there an example of one at the Air and Space Museum? Yeah, I think there is also in Washington. Oh, wow. But I think it's not in the one on the mall. I think that one is they actually moved it out to the airport where they keep okay. all their larger aircraft, including an example of a space shuttle. Oh, wow. I sadly didn't make it out, out that far. Now, have you ever shot with an F3? Yes, I... Um, I got an F3 from a former press photographer and it was a high point came with the MD4 motor drive and um, a series E 28, 2.8, um, a 51.4 AIS an AIS 105, 2.5 and an AI 135. In fact, except for the 28, I still have those three lenses. <laughs> so that was the core of that that got me hooked on manual focus Nikons. Now I don't have the camera anymore. I ended up um, gifting it to John Meadows Ah. along with the, uh, along with the MD4 and just the MD4 and the F3 just work so well together. Plus good chance. If you've heard a camera in an advertisement, you've heard the F3 with the MD4. Oh yeah. In fact, I was, watching an episode of Magnum PI, the original one, and TC was using a Hasselblad, but the sound was an F3 with an MD4. Oh, God. Bless their little hearts. Uh, uh, CBS that put that series out originally? I. It was put out by Universal. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Um, but lots of Nikons in that. Like... Oh, yeah. um, there's there's an F2, there's a Hasselblad, um, there's some FEs in there as well. They started blanking out stuff later on in the series, but well, I guess Nikon didn't pay the product placement. Maybe there <laughs> well, was also the, a Canon new F1 in there too. Well, the weird thing with the F the F3, and again, the pro shooters. They're oddly enough a very conservative bunch. And like when the F2 dropped in 1972, the pro shooters still had all held on to their Nikon Fs. Yeah. And in fact, they kept Nikon F the F production going for three more years until they ran out of parts. Yeah. And then it was like, 
Micron in 1980 decided, well, we're not repeating that mistake. We're not running two pro body assembly lines. No, we're done that. We're just going to do a hard, yeah, no more F2 for you in a sort of like Japanese answer to the soup Nazi. And uh, here's the F3. And a lot of pro shooters didn't like the idea of being, this is a battery dependent camera. Now, granted, SR44s or Energizer 357 silver oxide batteries, you can find them just about anywhere. <laughs> right and there. you just carry a spare set with you or two. Uh, and the odd thing is, in the first two years of the F3 being on the market, dealers were selling F2ASs, at a, which was the top of the line F2 model in the late 70s, they were selling new and box ones at a premium over the F3 mm -hmm. until they ran out. But then it was like the classic, once the pro shooters started shooting the F3 and got used to it, oh, you can pride from their cold, dead hands, especially, you know, even the, that's why it still kept going, even during the F4 and the F5, which... Believe me, uh, tech-wise, are even far superior to the F3, but the F3s don't quit other than the LCD. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's like, and even still today, the, the camera system commands a, um, a good price on the used market. Yeah, I, I think I would. A decent F3 HP, like, clean. Like, I don't mean like new in, new in the box, complete with the styrofoam and the factory little clear plastic lens uh, body cap. Uh, a clean one would be about what, three, four hundred bucks? Yeah, depends. Um, there's some here, like one with a lot of accessories, like 550, 250, 480. They're coming in uh, 230, 283. Mm. Wow, F three T black three eighty five, not bad. I think I paid five hundred for my F three T, but it was pristine. Oh yeah. And then you, I think there's a slight premium for the champagne. I can't remember offhand. Yeah. And then the press, they're. Oh yeah, silk so, um, champagne <laughs> seven fifty eight. Yeah, because they're just not as many as them. The T's were made. I was trying to figure out how long the, the F3Ts were made for. And I think they were made from the mid 80s up until like mid 90s mm -hmm. east. And the press ones, they're around out there. It's just trying know, to find it. You have to find them. And again, they really weren't sold to civilians like us if we were around in the 80s and 90s well, again i was a teenager in the 80s but even that i didn't have the pocket money to buy an f3 a brand spanking <laughs> parents hang me from a lamppost saying you wasted your money boy <laughs> yeah and so the f3 is also unique in that it was the first ds first um slr to shoot video oh that i did not know indiana jones um temple of doom the uh the mine cart sequence used a special high speed um, F3, the F3H with the MD4H. 
Now, what made this special is that it actually had a pellicle mirror. One of the few Nikon cameras that actually had a pellicle mirror. I didn't and, even know. I thought that was probably the only Nikon with a pellicle. I know, well, the pellicle SLR that I'm familiar with is the Canon Pellex. Yes. But that was like Canon's little experiment in the mid-1960s. They were spitballing technology, seeing what would stick as they try to get a toehold into the SLR game. <laughs> and But the, the F3H pellicle made a lot of sense in some regards that there's no mirror to slow you down. Exactly. So it could shoot up to 12 frames per second. So the folks at Lucasfilm doubled that to 24 frames oh, wow. per, per second because it was small enough that they could mount it on the models to film how, the sequence. How long, how long would a sequence of a motion well, picture sequence of that would be? Because they'd have to like be splicing like mad. They probably modified that 250 shot magazine for this as well. Like that's what, that was the true power of Nikon right mm -hmm. back to the F was infinite combinations for anything you wanted to do and uh, yeah you can also it was all, uh, modifiable enough that yeah you could modify it to be a, 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 an improvised motion picture camera for a unique situation where you gotta shoot a particular scene in mm -hmm. indiana temple of doom temple of doom yeah oh boy that's a film i haven't seen in ages and of course, Kodak used the F3 as their platform for their digital camera experiments. Yeah, that was uh, 91 that that came out. Um, so originally called the DCS, retcon to DCS 100 when they released the 200. Mm -hmm. And the idea was, is that it used all that, um, all the electronic contacts for it to do the interface um, it had a CCD sensor and then you needed an actual outrigger, which had a 200 meg SCSI drive with enough space to store 156 raw images or 600 with JPEG. And it had a keyboard that you could actually do all the captioning on. Who was the intended market for this camera? Or was it really more like the an press. experimental? The press, which is and why they went the, with the F3. Yeah, I was sort of wondering if the press really warmed to it because. Well, they sold 987 of them at $20,000 a pop. Ouch. <laughs> so probably just wire services and for very specific applications because. I know photojournalists really didn't embrace digital photo imaging until probably the early mid zero zeros. Yeah. When the price came down, but it's like, you know, $20,000, 1992. Not to mention more portability, right? Even in 91, you were just starting to see laptops get smaller. Exactly. Right? But especially on hard drives. But even running a an early digital camera like that, it's like it's not for sports photography if you're shooting football games. No, for that they had the um, Nikon F3 AF. Yeah, their earliest another... ex earliest experiments in autofocus. 
but that wasn't a real fast autofocus either. No. And again, aimed at sports photographers. So they only built an 80 millimeter and a 200 millimeter. Mm. Yeah, which is rather interesting because again, it's really not until the F4 and beyond came along. Yeah, because the F3 was like, if you're just a regular report photojournalist covering, I don't know, press conference, F3 with an SB, I want to say 15 or 16 flash would do you just nicely. Just fine. Yeah. Or if you're in a conflict zone, an F3 and a big pile of spare batteries. Yeah, the F3 would have covered... um the uh, Afghanistan war again um, with the Soviets. Yeah, and Grenada and Lebanon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember who else at the time. Probably the messiness in the Balkans in the early 90s. Um, yeah. Fall of the Iron Curtain. Mm. It's, it's like, what was there? And it's like, it's this. But sort of circling back, you know, using an outside design firm, like, again, Nikon wasn't the first. No, Porsche was involved with... Um, Contact. With, yeah, Contacts. With, with, yeah, Contacts. Kyocera. Well, prior to that, Yashica, because Yashica made the RTS, RTS2. Mm-hmm. And I think Porsche Design did the all the basically all the SLRs, the high-end contact stuff. Yeah. For, for Yashica and then later Kyra Sira. And uh, they weren't so you know, Nikon wasn't the first. And Canon no. later on brought in, I think, a German designer for the EOS one. That makes sense. I think it was it, 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 a German with an Italian sounding name. And he, uh, I think his name was Columbo. And he, he had a very interesting, if you saw his other work, like from that period, it's like, wow, this is extremely 1980s. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I'm more of a, a, a Guerrero Giorgetto fan because again, it's again, yeah, I'm an icon guy. And, but again, I also like his other work in the automotive space and it's just, you know, elegance and everything is where it's supposed to be. And that's what made the F3 such a great camera to get into that Nikon manual focus sphere is that it just made sense Yep. because I went from shooting Minolta um, to Nikon autofocus mm-hmm. and from Nikon autofocus, even my F80 had that red stripe on it. So going oh, yeah. from Nikon autofocus to Nikon manual focus with the F3 is like, right, this just works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I again, it's sort of like um, if you are a Nikon shooter and you have a pile of AI and AIS glass, yeah, why, why don't you have an F3 in the collection at this point? <laughs> yeah. In fact, um, the first first time I took the F3 actually out um, it was actually on a paid magazine assignment. Mm. <laughs> and again, I shot digital at that point. I had my D70, was it my D70S or was my D300? D300. I had the F3 with me as mm. well, and I shot 
I shot a roll of slide film. <laughs> oh, wow. But I'll tell you, though, if you're shooting color film, the F3 just rocks. Absolutely. The meter like, is so bang on, especially if you shoot slide. Yeah, you want the F3. <laughs> most of most of the last rolls of Kodachrome I shot were through an F3. Oh, nice. So. Yeah, well, my, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, the, my F3s are getting, are going to get a fair bit of use this summer and into the fall. Well, they're a camera that can take almost any season. Well, except for dead of winter. <laughs> well, they take it better than most. Exactly. No. Um, and again, one of the nice things about the F3 is that you have all this great glass. You can use any AI or AIS or even AF, AFD exactly. because those are AIS lenses. Pretty much because you still have that the aperture ring on it. Mm -hmm. Now you can even use pre-AI glass stop down. Yes. Pain in the butt, but yeah, if you've got some old Nikkor, say like a Nikkor UD20F, I think it's an F4. Mm. Super wide and want to use it, yeah, you can. Yeah, because it it does have the pin to flip up the uh, exactly aperture follower. So that makes it even more useful. There's a bit of a stopgap for you if you get it and haven't gotten those those lenses up. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's um, some AIS glasses super expensive, but like the 28 f 3.5, um, get the Pancake 51.8 as well. AIS, not the E, yeah. but the, the other one. The AIS one, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes the camera super uh, low profile. Mm. I would also even argue get the 35 F2. Or the 2.8 if you want to save a few bucks. Yeah. I, I, I'm lucky to have the F2. And it is the, I consider it the perfect lens for the F3 for sort of urban environments. Mm. I, uh, again, you can replicate Again, you can go with the 35 F2 and the 105.25, and you've got the perfect journalist two-lens kit. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you can't beat the 51.4 either. Oh, and then no. you've got that nice three-lens kit. Exactly. And, in fact, that's perfect. And it doesn't weigh a ton either. It's uh... So, yeah. Um... Oh, yeah. The other thing I would possibly caveat uh, the focusing screens with the F3 are native to the F3, so they don't work with the F2 or the F. No. And again, there are so many of them out there that you can exactly. just pick the ones you... That work best for you. Yeah. Um, the one I ended up actually using the most is the um, grid that doesn't have the split prism on it. And what's great is that my FE2 has that same style focusing screen. So it was very much like coming back to, and at that point, being someone who was still learning photography, having that grid that sort of reminded you of the rule of thirds mm -hmm. to help with composition is just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of the K screen, which is the split prism. And it just, and that's the one you'll get with most. Exactly. And you know, it, it helps bring things into focus real quick for you. Mm -hmm. And I, I good find bright eyesight, finder too. Oh, 
Exactly. And 100% coverage. Now, the DE2, which is the low profile, and I think it's 90%. Yeah, you want the high point for the 100. Exactly. And even if you get one with a DE2, you can just buy yourself a DE3 and just... Yeah, you can find them easily on the Evil Bay. Yep, or your local camera shops. (laughs) Yep. Well, I guess we sort of covered this. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Um, the F3. You know what? Are you going to get one? No, I don't. (laughs) I've... I've had the F3. I've loved it. It's a fantastic camera. But these days, the FE2 fills that niche quite nicely. Hmm. Um, Yeah, not as customizable, but a little more low profile, a little more lightweight. Um, The only thing I really wish Nikon had done is waited a few years to release the uh, F3 and stuck a matrix meter in it a la the FA. Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny because, again, Nikon, their design philosophy is we don't experiment with the pro bodies. Pro cameras, yeah. We give you super duper. We our, our set, The selling point is we're not the, the bleeding edge technology. We're the guys that give you something. You can go to hell in, get the shot, come back. The camera works fine. The prosumer bodies, like if you look at like the FA, the FA came with matrix meter. The FE2, the shutter went to one four thousandth of a second. The F3 tops out at one two thousandth. Yep. But it has a horizontal uh, alloy shutter. So there's a reason why it can only go so fast. Whereas the uh, FM and FE, or the FM2 and the FE2 came with vertical copal shutters, so they move a lot faster. And again, the, F, the replacement of the F3 is the F4. That came with a vertical copal shutter, and that went even faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's a camera for another episode. Exactly. And I guess we'll be back at the same bat channel to chat about that. Absolutely. So until next time, my name's Alex Lokes. Um, one is good, two is better, but sometimes you just want third time the charm. Exactly. It's Bill Smith and I can't top that. So I'm just going to say, grab your F3, go out and shoot some film. <laughs>